welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Deep breath in. Let it out. It's good to be here. I love the Witham family. They are just some of our dearest friends, uh, all five of them. And it's been fun to, if you're not following Micah on Instagram, uh, do that because he's posting some really cool pictures of the Camino, uh, including one where there's a big Band-Aid on his little pinky toe and he is trying to do that particular leg on with his flip-flops. So we'll see how that one goes. Um, I'm going to invite Jenna up to read the scripture for this morning. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because at Genesis West, we try to do in, in, in as many ways as we can we try to show that God is both fully masculine and fully feminine. And so we always have the scripture reader, if it's a male preaching, we have the scripture reader uh, be a female and vice versa. If a female is preaching, uh, we have a male be the scripture reader. So I asked Jenna to read the scriptures and I will also say, we had Jenna in to Genesis last year to preach and I mean, she was so amazing. I was gone that during her sermon, my phone was blowing up with like, who is this person? What church does she work at? How can I move there and leave Genesis? <laughs> you know? And so uh, we invited her to come back in August. We can't wait for that. But you have a huge gift in this woman. Do you not? Wow. So please, please read for us, Jenna. Well, yes, Steve, I will read the scriptures for you. <laughs> Uh, If you are able, please stand uh, for the reading of the word. Uh, This is a reading from 1 John 3, 1 through 7. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be just like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits a sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks, Jenna. Uh, so um, the way I teach is a little bit more like a conversation, a little bit less like a lecture. So um, when we were singing the children's blessing, there's a line in that song that essentially says, you know, may you hear God's voice all around you. And I want to invite you to take that one level from the ethereal realm, like God is in the sky and the air and the flowers, and, which is totally true, into like God's voice is all around you this morning in each other's voices. So I'm gonna ask what I call all play questions, and it's designed to hear your voice, which I believe is also the voice of God, so that 
we can get a better and clearer picture of what the scripture is saying. Does that make sense? So just go with it. If you don't want to do it, you do not have to do it. But there's no right answers. My questions are not designed to have one answer. They're designed to get your mind thinking in different ways. Amen? Let's do it. See what love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of a God, and that is what we are. And I've loved that. I, I really have loved that verse, 1 John 3, 1, for probably my whole life because it, it, it is such a beautiful orientation to who we are. But I also think we tend to miss some of the subversive and radical nature of what it really means. So uh, John wrote this letter, but Paul wrote a similar letter uh, to the Philippians. In chapter 3, verse 20, uh, Paul, it's like explaining this verse, essentially. And he writes this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the first century where this was written, it was an unbelievably strong patriarchal society. So much has changed. Come on, people. Come on now. Uh, but it was so strong that your identity was that you were known as a son of your father. And this is where I like how this is translated as children. We should be called children of God because that word really does include men and women, boys and girls. But um, this is probably one of the few instances where I think we understand the text better if we leave it at son of God because it speaks to a reorientation of your identity. Because in the first century, you were the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of David, the son, when Jesus calls himself the son of man, he means he is the son of humanity. When he says he's the son of David, he means he's the son of the king. I mean, it's, it's so when you say you're a son of fill in the blank, it's your orienting reality is what that phrase is. Are you tracking on that? It's very important to catch if you're going to catch how radical it is that we would be called the children of a God. So when, we, when Paul goes in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. The Greek word for citizenship is palituma, which is where we get the word politics. It also can mean commonwealth, but it also can mean conversation. Our conversation relating to who we are is rooted in the heavens. And don't think some place up in the sky. Think the kingdom of God, the realm where whatever the kingdom of God exists, wherever what God wants done is done. That's heaven. That's the kingdom of heaven. Our conversation is rooted wherever it is that God's will is actually done. And we're expecting a savior, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. But Paul is ripping off Roman propaganda with this phrase because they would hear over and over again through loud voices and on coins, things like our citizenship, our conversation, our politics are in Rome and it's from there that we're expecting a savior and then they would have, you know, uh, Caesar Augustus. And so... In, in the first century, Romans were trying to um, conquer the world, and so their orienting reality, you guys, was the empire. And so 
when John writes, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called sons of God, and that is what we are, he's radically reorienting your fundamental identity and where you uh, get your sense of self from. So that's the backdrop, and there's a whole lot of blank stares looking back at me because who cares about Rome in the first century? So let me ask the first all-play question. What are some orienting realities that you could be tempted to identify yourself in these days? So I'll give one example. could be um, I have ADD, and I take medication for ADD, and I also have anxiety. I take medication for anxiety. And so I could say, hi, I'm Steve. I have ADD and anxiety, and that's who I am. I could root myself in that identity. Uh, what are some other examples of things we could root ourselves in, both good and bad? Say it loud. Occupation, yeah, your job, totally. In fact, we always ask, hi, I'm Steve, what do you do? Like, who I fish, you know? Like, have you ever thought, like, to just answer that by, I dance, you know? Like, wow, that's, you know. Or like, I watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, that's how you answer that question. That is what you do. I just, I, like, let's, can we subvert even some of the conversations around that? I think we can. All right, what else? Consumer. Yes, we are consumers. Why do we, uh, why do we consume in this country, this glorious, beautiful country? What's that? To fill the hole in our hearts. I went to uh, Mojo uh, to fill the hole in my heart <laughs> this morning. Let me tell you, it did a pretty good job. Uh, but yeah, consumerism. What else? What about your disability? Family. Your family. Birth order, yeah, yep. It takes a long time to realize that you were socialized into a system of belief and your family did the best job they could. They, it did, you know, I'm doing it to my family too. But at some point you realize as an adult, maybe as a teenager, that not every single thing your church or your family taught you about God or anything else is actually even true. Like you have this shift where you go, oh my goodness. It isn't all. So where do you root yourself? Uh, one or two more? There's lots, lots more. Yeah, go ahead. You're a mom. That is, yeah, are you saying that's your rooted reality? Yeah. Yep, totally. In your momness or dadness or, yeah. In fact, I was at, this was years ago, but we, we took our kids to this, one of these things in Linden Hills where, you know, the kids do art and then you pay money for art and they, you know, they get help. And these two moms that didn't even know each other were like one-upping each other on how great their little four-year-olds were for getting into certain, you know, and I'm just watching it going like, wow, this is so awesome. I watch a lot of Netflix. I leaned in. Uh, you, you had something? Denomination. Oh, yeah. I mean, the church does this so well. I am 
uh, Lutheran. I am a covenanter. I am a Baptist. And it's like, what does that even mean? So um, in 1 John 3, verse 2, we read this. Beloved, we are God's children now. So that's good news. Our orienting reality can shift. We are all those things, but we aren't defined by those things. And that's very theoretical right now. So we're going to dive deeper into what that means. So don't worry. Um, but, then, but then we read, what we will be has not yet been revealed. And I love that because it speaks to this reality that I can call myself a child of God and I can say I'm rooted in that identity, but also, like, has anyone ever been a little ticked off by this kind of advice? Like, you just should get your identity totally in Christ. Go for it. Now, is that true? Yeah. And is that what I just said? Yeah. But have you ever felt like that's kind of like a brush off? You know, like, how, do, how does that really actually happen in my actual life? So I like this verse, too, because it speaks to this process that even becoming a child of God, not in the sense of security, but in the sense of, like, you're going to grow into that, and you're going to have fits and starts, and you're going to move toward addiction, and you're going to move away from addiction, and you're going to be mean to people, and you're going to say you're sorry, and you're going to, you know, say the worst thing that you could possibly say to your spouse, even though you know you shouldn't say it right before you say it. You would get that little thing, and you say, don't say, don't say that. I know you just said the, the previous 17 sentences, but if you say this sentence, and then you say it, and you still go back and say, well, okay, I am becoming a child of God. And then you can breathe in and out again and say, I'm in process. But then you read, actually, yeah, okay. But then you read in verse 4, uh, which makes you want to quit Christianity altogether. Or I guess it just makes me want to quit Christianity altogether. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there really is no sin. So no one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has either seen him or known him. So I want to go, okay, fantastic. <laughs> but I also want to go, okay, John, I kind of want to get in your face a little bit because I read your letter. So now we're in chapter three, but in chapter one, this is what you said. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us and our sins will be forgiven and he'll cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So I want to say, John, like, which one is it? Is it if you, if you sin at all, you don't abide in Christ? Or is it you are a total liar if you say you abide in Christ and don't sin? Welcome to the Bible. <laughs> totally clear, right? I just follow the Bible. I just do what it says. <laughs> all right, Jen said, just pick whichever one's easier. <laughs> and we all do it. And that's part of what it means to be growing into becoming a child of God. And when we realize, oh, mama, 
there are some things that I've picked and chosen. And I've criticized people who have picked and chosen because they're not picking the same ones that I am. So I call them a terrible Christian or not even a Christian. And then you realize finally one day, I have been absolutely guilty of doing the exact same thing. And then you go back and you say, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. See, I still have like the King James Version in my memorized mind from when I was growing up. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called sons of God or children of God, because we really are. And when I need to hear that is right after I've realized, oh my gosh, I've really made a mess of it and lost the plot. Amen? So we really are children of God who really do sin and we really, really need to be rooted in a reality bigger than our sin. So let's talk about sin for a second. So I'm going to say, um, everybody, does, any, does anybody, does, does everybody remember the story of Cain and Abel? Good Sunday school people. So Cain and Abel were the children of Adam and Eve. And uh, it started off really well, the first family of God. Uh, and the sons end up murdering, one of them end up, ends up murdering another one. And uh, Cain murders Abel after this sort of bizarre story of when it comes time to give sacrifices, Cain gives his sacrifice, then Abel gives his sacrifice, and Abel's sacrifice is apparently a first fruit, and then God is disappointed with Cain and gets in his face, and then Cain gets so upset that he murders Abel. So here's my all-play question, gang. Why did God not accept Cain's offering? Because his heart, awesome. Anyone else have another answer? Say it again. He just didn't accept it. And I'm going to go with that. Jake is right. We are not told in this, as much as you've been told, and I've been told growing up, why God didn't accept Cain's offering. It's all interpretation. It's all, well, we infer that Something was wrong with Cain. His heart was wrong. His motivation was wrong. So we developed theories. And there's some theory. I mean, but the reality is we don't know. We don't know why God. So imagine stepping into, imagine being a therapist, and this guy comes in. And I don't know what kind of therapist you are because the only people that exist on the world is this little family. But just, just, just be a therapist. And Cain walks in, and you can tell Cain's pretty angry. Is before he's murdered Abel, his brother, and you're a good therapist, so you ask questions, and you finally get him to say, I just feel like God is so disappointed in me. How would you react to this man full of anger? You'd probably have some compassion. You probably would have some compassion. But we like good guys and bad guys, don't we? Let's make a good guy out of this story and let's make a bad guy. And let's put the good guy up and say, let's have the point of this story be, you better always give your first fruits to God or else you might murder someone. <laughs> and we laugh, but like, so we make a morality tale out of it. As if that's what the point of the first story after Genesis 3. I mean, like the writer is trying to do something. So we have the fall, we have sin, we have Adam and Eve, we have them expelled from the garden, and here comes the first story. Here it comes. What's the writer trying to set up? Well, in this new system, 
Morality is really important. So I'm going to teach you right away how not to kill your brother. What if, what if the point of the story, which is going to endure for all of time, is so that the reader will ask the question, what will I do when I feel like I'm treated unfairly? How will I react? Are you tracking? That's what Cain, he feels like he's treated unfairly. And we're not told in the Bible whether God is treating Cain unfairly, but our Western minds want to say, like, you can't even say that. God would never treat Cain unfairly. That doesn't even compute. But when we do that, do you see what we do? We just short-circuit the whole conversation of what the Bible's trying to do. It's trying to ask you a question and to get you to enter into the story. What will I do when I feel like I am not being treated fairly by God or someone else? Because if you're a human being, you're going to run into that roadblock, aren't you? So I, let's define sin as whatever it is that you choose to do when you feel like you are not getting what you really do need. So let's even say, I think the most fundamental need for human beings is to experience at a deep level love and belonging. Everyone has that legitimate desire. So the cycle of misplaced desire is to feel that desire. And then number two, to name the fact that you're not getting it. You're not getting the love and desire that you need, that you want. That desire is good and true, but you're not getting the love and desire and that, the love and belonging that you need, and that hurts. And then you say, I don't like how that feels to have that hurt. I hate it. So I'm going to do something that's going to make me feel better. Right? So we go read the Bible, right? You guys, you, we can laugh a little bit in church. No, we maybe reach for, you know, the liquor cabinet, or we order another pizza, or we go shopping, or we flirt with someone who's not our spouse, or we work out extra hard, or any number of things, any number of things that will help us to not feel that awful feeling of not being loved. And the reason why we do those things is because for a little while, they work, don't they? Yes, they, they work, or else we wouldn't do them. But then, so that's step three. If I take this or do this, I will feel better. But then step four is, on the other side of that doing that thing, you most likely feel worse. Now you're adding guilt to this feeling of not feeling loved and belonging. So now you go back to step one and you do the cycle all over again. So the question of this text that this text is trying to ask is, how is it that you will grow into becoming a child of God where you see Jesus for who he actually is. How will you do that? Tangibly, practically, how will you become a person that learns to really orient yourself 
in the reality that you are loved in a way that goes bigger than just someone telling you you should get your identity in Christ. Awesome. Do you have a book that speaks to that? Yes, I'll send it to you. Awesome, thanks. And I, I write books, but like, the, you know, at some point we got to stop giving each other books. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that I'll be able to read another book that's really going to change my fundamental reality. Your fundamental reality won't change by learning new things. You have to actually change the way it is that you see life in general. So just what I did with Cain and Abel with you. I remember the first time I heard that interpretation from this Jewish woman named Sandy Eisenberg Sasso. I was like, oh my gosh. And then I felt mad that I had grown up my whole life thinking the Bible was all about morality tales. Here's how to be good. But then I got excited. And I was like, I'm going to start reading the scriptures as if they're trying to start a conversation. And I'm going to enter into that conversation. And I'm going to yell. But I'm not just going to have a one-on-one. I'm going to invite other people that are different from me to be in that conversation. Because if you're a child of God, you're in a family. And you don't, you're not, like, we're so individualistic. We're going to get it right by ourselves. We're going to read our books. We're going to have our quiet times. We're going to go out and live justly and love mercy and walk humbly. And we're going to do it all by ourselves. And yes! And we, really, and we totally forget that, like, oh my gosh, I, I can cover about one hundredth of the picture. Not even that. But let's just give ourselves lots of credit. I can be right about one out of 100 times. The other 99, I'm going to need to look at you. Amen? Like, so, and if we talk about community in church as if it's like, oh, make sure you're, you know, reading a book with five other people. Do you want to orient yourself in the radical reality that you're loved? And can you sit with that desire long enough until you get mad at all the counterfeits that you've tried? And can you surround yourself with people who help be the voice of God to you so that you can start growing into the reality that you're radically loved? When I was 21 years old, after a long history of, it was kind of my sabbatical <laughs> from God, it was about eight years, I was in a communion service, and I, you know, it was that one of those communion services where you're led to, like, really consider all your sin, and I was like, oh my gosh, if I, if I do that, I'm just going to feel even worse about myself than I already do, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do that, and then I heard God speak to me. And it, it resonated, but it was three words, and it wasn't, I love you. It was, hey, Steve, I like you. And honestly, that, that, that shifted how I saw myself, how I saw God, that act of affection. Because it wasn't about even forgiveness, although it was. It wasn't like, I forgive you of all those eight years of doing stupid things. It was just like... I like you. Like, I felt like God was, like, tweaking my nose and saying, you rascal, you know? Ah. 
So what would it look like for you to really sit in that desire long enough to where you might actually see what Jesus is really like? I think that's a journey worth going on. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.